thanks for listening to this sermon from Cedar Springs Church. We know life is busy and it's easy to get caught up running in so many directions. At Cedar Springs, we see you and we're with you. We also understand the feeling inside of you for something deeper. In fact, we believe God created us for those deeper things and we want to help you discover them. We want to introduce you to a life lived deeply with God and with others. If you're not already, we invite you to visit us during one of our Sunday worship services. We are all working toward taking our next step to move into deeper faith and community. So come, take your next step with us. We don't want you to settle for life as normal because you were made to live deeply. Well, good morning, dear church. It is good to see you. Thank you for for being here today. Here is your sermon in a sentence up there on the screens. God is with us. That's what I'd like us to consider for a few moments together this morning. We worship the God who is with us. He is present right now. He has drawn near to us. He is with us. If you're new with us this morning, my my name is James Forsyth. I'm the senior pastor here. And before we dive into God's word, let's bow our heads together and pray. Father, we thank you for being the God who is with us, the God who is present beside us, near. Would you be pleased, Lord, to come and um, make that truth a reality for us this morning? It's, It's already true, but help us to believe it and experience it and live in light of it, that we might know more of your love and how it can change our lives. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. I'm curious this morning, is there, is there someone in your life who has a faith that you find really inspiring? Someone in your life whose faith in Jesus has inspired you? Maybe you cast your mind back to uh, a leader that you had when you were young, in youth group or young life or something like that. Someone who's faith shaped you, someone whose faith inspired you. Maybe you think of a peer. Um, Students, maybe there's a a classmate of yours who's just not afraid to be different, who's not afraid to stand out for the sake of of Jesus, who isn't all that concerned about looking weird and and follows Jesus, and and, and you kind of respect them for that. Or maybe it's in the office, maybe you have a co-worker that that you admire. Or maybe maybe it's someone in your, your family uh, when I asked this question in the first service, whose faith inspires you, there was a, a dear old couple sitting in the back and I saw him elbow her and say, it's you. <laughs> Maybe it is your spouse. Maybe it's your kids. Maybe it's your parents. Maybe it's your, grand, your grandparents. Who, who is it for you? I encourage you to think about that. Who is it that has faith that inspires you? Maybe over lunch today, you could share your answer with whoever you're, you're eating with. Well, today I want to share a a story from the Bible. It's about three friends whose faith can surely inspire us all. It comes from Daniel chapter 3. When we open up that text, we find ourselves in Babylon. Babylon, which was the world power of the day, located in what we would now call Iraq. Well, here the world power of, of, of Babylon has just continued to amass more and more land, conquering more and more people, and they had a very interesting, a very novel, kind of evil genius plan for, for how to dominate a nation. First, they would use their military might, and they would come in and just conquer the people. 
Nothing particularly novel about that. But the second thing they did was interesting. They would take the best and brightest of the newly conquered people and ship them back to Babylon. So take people from all over the empire and bring them back to the capital city. But once they got them to the capital city, they didn't abuse them or mistreat them as slaves. Instead, they gave them a Babylonian education and had them marry into Babylonian families. So that within a generation, the best and brightest of these foreign lands would have become fully integrated into Babylonian culture. One commentator calls it subjugation by assimilation. Because once they had assimilated the best and brightest, they would then send these back to the land from which they had come from, and they would extend Babylonian rule there on their, on their behalf. Well, it's a brilliant strategy, except it doesn't seem to be working with three Israelites. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, three of the sweetest names in the Bible. <laughs> and here they are, um, not, not, quite fitting, not quite fitting in. The story, of course, starts as King Nebuchadnezzar, who is king of Babylon and therefore at this time king of the world, has built himself an enormous golden statue. The Bible tells us it is 90 feet high. So if you're on the ground here, look up. It's about three and a half times the height of, of our sanctuary. 90 feet high and, and nine feet wide. And then what he's done is surround this enormous statue with a worship team. There are people who play the harp and the lyre and all kinds of different strings, and I think it's the best worship team ever because the word of the Lord, Daniel 3, verse 15, look it up later, tells us this worship team includes bagpipes. <laughs> Landon Paul, why don't we have bagpipes, dude? <laughs> like, what's that about, you know? The Babylonians got the message, like, on earth as it is in heaven, you know? Come on, let's get, we, need to get, we need to get some bagpipes up, up, up in here. And, and here's how it worked. When the worship team starts, when the music strikes up, when you hear the music, you fall on your face and you worship the image. And if you don't, you get sent to the flames. You get sent to, to be burned alive. You get sent to the furnace. Very simple arrangement. Hear the music, worship the idol. Well... Everyone's playing along apart from our three friends. And, and when, when Nebuchadnezzar hears about it, he, he just flies into a furious rage. I'm the king, the king of Babylon, king of the world. If I tell you to dance, you dance. If I tell you to, to fall on your face, you fall on your face. And if I tell you to worship the image, you know what you're gonna do? You're gonna worship the image. And if you don't, one last chance before I send you to the furnace, before I send you to the flames. Well, do you remember how our three friends respond? It's one of my favorite bits of Old Testament smack talk in the whole Bible. <laughs> they say, verse 16, O King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not even feel the need to answer you in this matter. Isn't that great? Yeah, you're a king. You might be king of the world. We don't feel the need to take your call. Why? You're just a king. We worship, we worship the king. And you think we're going to defy him in order to keep you happy? I don't think so. Not right now. We're good. Thank you very much. Well, when Nebuchadnezzar hears this, he just, you know, his rage just inflames all the more along with the furnace that he has heated seven times hotter. And yet, even as our friends are dragged to the furnace, 
Even when our friends are dragged to the flames, they will not bow down. Makes you wonder, do, do you have faith like that? Do I have faith like that? Faith that is prepared to sacrifice everything. Faith that is even willing to, to die for the sake of, of Christ. It's inspiring stuff. Inspiring faith. Now, of course, we don't just read about inspiring faith in, in the Bible. Church history is, is full of people who've had inspiring faith too. Have you ever heard of Hein Sietzma? Hein Sietzma, I heard about him this week in a, a sermon from Ray Cortez on this passage, very helpful to me as I prepared this text. And then I, I, I tracked down uh, Hein Sietzma's story in a Christianity Today article from 2015. I've put uh, references to both of those sources in my sermon notes, which we post online every week if you want to learn more about, about these guys. Well, in 1940, the Nazis invaded the Netherlands, and much, uh, the majority, in fact, of the Dutch population adopted a posture of compliance toward these Nazi occupiers, except Heinzitzma wasn't having it. He was engaged to be married to the love of his life. At that time, an 18-year-old girl called Diet Emmen. Remember her. We've got Hein and we've got Diet. And together, the two of them became involved in the underground resistance. The underground resistance, who was primary aim, whose main goal was to save the life of Jews. Save the life of Jews who, who hate, Hitler hated more than any other. And so what the underground resistance did was, was hide Jews in, in attics and, and secret rooms, in, farm, in farmlands and, and other places, and then do all that they could do to steal ration cards and, and keep, give them food and, and keep, them, keep them alive. Incredible, bold, daring people. But unfortunately, Hein, Diet, they got caught. They got caught by the Nazis and she was sent to a Nazi prison while he was sent to, to a Nazi concentration camp, a camp where he would die. But on the train, on the passenger train on the way to this camp, on the passenger train on the way to a literal furnace, Hein scrolled a short letter on a piece of toilet paper and then put it in a crumpled bit of brown paper, uh, addressed it, and threw it out the window of the moving train. Well, amazingly, surely miraculously, someone picked up this letter and mailed it. And so, Diet, Heinz's fiancée, received his dying words after his death. Can you imagine how her fingers would have trembled as she unrolled this, this brown package and read, these words. Darling, don't count on our seeing each other again soon. Here we see, darling, that we do not decide our own lives. But even if we won't see each other again on earth, we will never be sorry for what we did. We will never be sorry that we took this stand and know that of every last human being in this world, I loved you most. The Nazi music plays, and Heinz Sietzma will not bow. The music plays, and he refused to fall. It's inspiring stuff. And this kind of faith, this kind of faith that we see in, in the Bible, that we see in Christians throughout history, surely it's the kind of faith that we need today, 
Surely that's the kind of faith that, that we long to have today. A kind of faith that will be strong enough to, to help us navigate through the ups and downs of life, particularly those seasons that are difficult when we're distressed or we don't understand. The kind of faith that will enable us to stand in a culture that might increasingly lead us to believe that we are bigots or or worse for believing the historic truths of Christianity. Do we have the faith that we need to stand? When we hear the music, the music of our own fears and doubts or the cultural pressure that's all around, do we need a kind of faith that will enable us not to fall but to stand? And so my question is, where do you get it from? Where do you get that kind of faith? Where did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego get it? Where did Heinz Seitzma get it? Where did the person that you thought about at the start of the service, where did they get it from too? Well, Daniel chapter three would suggest we need two things. You ready? Number one, that we need, you need, I need. We need faith in God. Now, that sounds obvious, that sounds redundant, but hang with me because verses 17 and 18 of, 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 of Daniel chapter three give us a really um, nuanced and profoundly important understanding of, of what faith really is. So, verse 17, they've been told that they're gonna be thrown in the furnace and they say to King Nebuchadnezzar, okay, even if this is so, even if this is the case that we are going to be thrown into the furnace, let it be known to you, O king, that we're still not going to worship your image. And in fact, we have a God who is able to save us, and then they add, and we think that he will. We, we don't worship a God, we worship the God. We think this God can save us, and more than that, we think that he actually will. We expect to be delivered by him. We have faith in him. And then comes verse 18, do you remember it? But if not, three of the best words in this section of scripture. But if not, if he doesn't save us, be it known to you, O king, that we're still not gonna worship the image that you have laid out before us. In other words, God can save us, we think he will, but our, our faith isn't in that circumstance. Our faith isn't in that outcome. Our faith is in God, and he is enough for us, no matter the outcome. (laughs) He is enough for us, whatever the circumstance might be, up to and including death. Isn't that, you see the difference? It makes all the difference in the world. They didn't have faith that God would just somehow work things out for them. They had faith in God, no matter how things worked out for them. And so often, um, so often in our lives, we need that kind of faith to trust someone or something to God, even when we don't know what the outcome's going to be. We have faith still in in him, in God. Now, friends, that can be hard, but notice also there's something beautiful about it. There's a sense in which that kind of faith actually requires very little from us. Why? Because you don't have to have a ton of faith. You just need to have a mustard seed in the right thing. You don't need to be some kind of like spiritual superhero. You, you just need to have, have a little faith in God. The, the people that we've thought of today, that, you, you know, that have this inspiring faith, you know they don't have superhuman faith. They have a superhuman God. And they have a little bit of faith 
in that superhuman God. And so the call for us this morning is not to become some sort of spiritual giant where you just have this absolute confidence and certainty about all things to do with your faith. That's not what gets it done in Christianity. What you need is a tiny little bit in the right thing, and that thing is God. That he will be enough for you, no matter what. That you can trust him with your life. What do we need? We need faith in God. But but secondly, more than that, Let's get to our point. We need faith in the God who is with us. That's the second thing our text would say. We need faith in the God who is with us. God is with us. Back to the story. Our friends are brought to the furnace and they are indeed thrown in, cast into the middle of the flames. And, and remember, at this point in the story, King Nebuchadnezzar, um, he's a very emotional character, and his intense fury now becomes an intense kind of shock. Why? Because though the flames were hot enough to kill the mighty men who threw our friends into the furnace, here they are in the furnace still walking around, walking around in the middle of the flames, and we can imagine his exasperation. They won't worship my image, they won't obey my commands, and now they won't even die. Like, (laughs) but then the text tells us he becomes more shocked still as he jumps to his feet and exclaims in verse 24, did we not throw three men into the fire? It's a question he's saying out loud, but I imagine he's asking it to himself. Do we, what, 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 what happened here? What do we do? Was it in the th- three? And then his surprise continues, verse 25. Yet I see four men unbound, walking around in the midst of the fire, and the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Like a son of the gods, he spoke better than he knew. Because this was indeed God. God bringing his presence into the midst of the furnace and shining yet more brightly even than the flames. He did not keep them from the furnace, but he did join them in the furnace. He brought his presence to them. He brought his, his, his saving, keeping, guiding, loving presence to them in the midst of this moment, and so he saved their lives. And we say, wow, wouldn't that be something? To have God join you like that? Well, remember Deet? Her fiance has died, and she's languishing in a Nazi prison cell, which is about as nice as you might imagine. Imagine the squalid conditions. Imagine the uh, you know, horrendous sanitation. Imagine the lack of food, the lack of water. Imagine the cold days and the even colder nights. Imagine the grief over losing your fiance. Imagine the thousand other worries that would come your way as well when in the midst of this situation, Deet pulled a hairpin from her head and started to etch something into the prison wall. Don't you love this? Graffiti in the name of Jesus, right? And she wrote, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. 
Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. She was aware of his presence with her in the midst of that furnace of her own. And that gave her security. That gave her hope. That enabled her to persevere. And persevere she did because she survived. She survived that war and she died just four years ago at the age of 99. (laughs) And for each one of those 99 years, Jesus was with her. Wouldn't it be something to have God join us in the furnace? Well, at Christmas we celebrate that he does. The bad news of Christmas, friends, you and I, all of us, we have broken the true king's commands. There's a very real dangerous sense in which we deserve to be cast into the furnace. We deserve to be cast into the flames and not just the flames of Babylon but the eternal flames of hell and yet the good news of Christmas is that Jesus has entered the furnace for us. Yet when he did, nobody else stepped in. On the cross, Jesus is unutterably alone. But then he rises again. And he says, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I have conquered your ultimate furnace, and now I will be with you in your smaller furnaces. I will bring my presence into your present. I will give you all that you need to make it all that you need to persevere. And that is true, friends. Like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, God might spare you from the earthly consequence. He might spare you from these flames, in which case you'll get up tomorrow and follow him. Or like Hein Sitzma, God might not spare you from that earthly circumstance, in which case you'll wake up in heaven and forever enjoy him. His presence with us in this present moment. That's faith that changes people. An awareness of God's presence. That's what changed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's what changed Tyne and Deet. That's what changed the person you thought about at the start of the service. And, and the good news is, you know it can change us too. It can change us too. Because he is with us too. Isn't it an int- intriguing thought? Like, You know it's possible that someone, when, when someone else thinks of, of someone whose faith has inspired them, they could think of you. Isn't that a cool thought? Who would you, who would you love to be a, an inspiration to? Maybe it's your kids. Maybe it's your family. Maybe it's some coworkers or some, some friends that you, that you love. Someone in your life that you would love to point to Jesus. Maybe over lunch you can talk about that too. Talk about someone who's inspired you and talk about who you would love to be an inspiration to and then know, friends, that you can be that, I can be that because we don't need to have some kind of great faith. We just need to have a little bit in the right thing and the right thing is faith in the God who is with us. Amen. Amen. Father, we do thank you for drawing near. You are the God who comes after us You are the God who goes before us, and you are the God who is with us. So would you give us the gift of faith? We believe, help our our unbelief, that we might uh, follow you with great joy in this life, and even be a great encouragement and inspiration to others to find Christ. We pray all these things in his perfect name. Amen.